Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm gonna be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This has got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right, don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple Podcasts as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. All things Chelsea, keeping you up to date on the latest news from Stamford Bridge. Match recaps, previews, presented by WorldSoccerShop.com. It's the London is Blue podcast. Here's your hosts, Brandon, Dan, and Nick. Welcome back, Chelsea fans. Super Saturday, I believe that's what they're calling it. And every team plays today. Um... Not ideal to have Chelsea at the 6.30 a.m. slot, but nonetheless, we're going to go ahead and record right after the match this morning. Uh, It's just after 9 o'clock in the morning. We don't have time to wait on this, Dan. So much to talk about from an exhilarating nil-nil draw. Yeah, it was quite the match this morning. And Nick, I know that you told me you didn't even need coffee afterward because you were so stimulated by... just hyped. Yeah, yeah, just super hyped about the lack of finishing and you know, some generally misplaced passes. I think that's why I get up in the morning, guys. Like, I I, I just really love it that much, you know, and, and I think that we're we're all in that kind of same place. High energy, high motor, uh, clear eyes, calm heart, whatever. Can't uh, lose. Cl- clear eyes, full hearts, can't lose. Full hearts. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. 
Well, unfortunately, I don't think that was really the case today. Um, <laughs> so we'll get into that, obviously, very quickly here. Um, the only thing we have outstanding right now is Dan, uh, yet again, on a short week, another iTunes review. Yeah, you know, this this individual movie producer 91 pulling some potentially double duty to get this one in under the wire with a nice little five star review in iTunes and uh, you know, give the gift of a five star review this Christmas or Hanukkah or whatever <laughs> festive element you celebrate, Nick, and uh, drop one on iTunes for us. Yeah, happy solstice to those who are. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> yeah, leave us a five star, and we'll we'll probably give you a shout out on the show. Well, so we here's will. the thing: we've got a couple reactions to the match right off the bat. So before we get into it, we always like to react right away. Uh, let's see, Nick, you want to explain this uh, GIF we put up? Uh, kind of summa- oh, an summation no, no, of the no. match. We're we're not doing the GIF GIF thing again, are we? Like I thought that was well established. It's GIF. It's it, it's GIF. Right yeah. Now. Continue. Jif. Yeah, so <laughs> Jif is peanut butter. Anyway, um, Dan Dan put out a, a lovely um, bad Santa gif of where he's drinking. Was that peppermint schnapps? I forget in the movie. Um, anyway, whatever. Uh, he put out the bad Santa gif of him uh, chugging a, a fifth of whatever that was. Twenty five shots, eight on target, multiple goal line clearances, and a near own goal, and we draw. Yep. So, there it is. It's my yeah, submission. There, there are also a couple of good reactions. Uh, one from one of our buddies, Cliff, who used the scene from A Christmas Story after the triple dog dare tongue on the pole, frozen solid. Um, and then our buddy Shane posted one specifically to the Zapacosta uh, substitution, which was uh, the nightmare for four Christmas with... Uh, <laughs> The, the head-scratching moment for Jack Skellington, which uh, I, I think we will get into as we hit up this match review. But, uh, Nick, I think there's a little World Soccer Shop uh, promo we have to do first. Correct. Yep. Uh, so last day, so if you're, if you're listening to this as soon as we publish, the last day to enter the $100 sweepstakes is on the 25th, uh, and then it will close. So get your entries in and make sure that um, you have a chance to win this $100 to World Soccer Shop. All right. Well, match review time. Obviously, it was Everton in the Premier League. We were away at Goodison Park, and it was the early kickoff this past Saturday, December 23rd. Uh, the scoreline, Blues, 7,000 shots, Everton, zero shots, and also the score was 0-0. So we did have kind of half-correct predictions and the fact that Jay and Ugo predicted draws, but nobody had nil-nil. It's just not what you'd expect the way that both teams were going. Um, but anyways, Dan, we had more rotation from Antonio Conte in this lineup. Uh, Chelsea in the 3-4-2-1 or 3-4-3. Uh, but who filled all the slots? We had Thibaut go back between the six again. Azpilicueta, Christensen, Rudiger in front of him with Victor Moses, Conte, Bakayoko, and Alonso ahead of them. And then a little William Pedro Hazard up top. Willie C. started off the bench next to Zapacosta, Cahill, Drinkwater, Fabregas, Hudson Adoy making a little appearance there on the bench, and that was going to be as much as he saw in terms of action for the day next to Mishi. So, uh, Nick, it was uh, definitely a, uh, an interesting lineup, especially when you realize we were forced into a Maratalis appearance today. Yeah, uh, and, and you could say rudderless um, up front. I mean, 
what what I would say about this match, I think just as kind of a general recap, is that I think Chelsea played really well. Uh, I think we controlled large parts of the game. Passing was relatively fluid. Uh, the midfield was dominant um, and all over the place. Defense looked, you know, pretty solid all match. Front three were back heel flicking and and passing around, but there was just no end product. And you know, Dan, I would say the the one the one real chance, the the one you know concrete moment where you thought we were going to score. Uh, you know, there were a couple of you know kind of toe pokes, one from Bakayoko uh, that Pickford battered out, and then. Um, and then William kind of had a, a half chance after that, and and just didn't you know? It seemed like one of those matches at halftime that you know might not be our day. Yeah, I think ultimately, you know, when Williams kind of put that header into the back, you know, you thought it was going to be our day, and you know, he he just had a lapse in, in judgment there. You really thought he was going to put that one down and in the box for us, and net the goal but ultimately it just uh, didn't pan out that way so uh, it'll be interesting to see what Conte does about him from a lineup uh, standpoint if he fields him again in the future um, yeah, very interesting obviously overwhelmingly dominant on the stat sheet with 68% possession 8 shots on target 25 shots total over double their passes here's the one that blows my mind though right Chelsea had 10 clearances Everton had 56 clearances now i didn't have time to look this up but that was a whole hell of a lot of clearances and i can't imagine too many teams maybe it's the way city are playing right now but i can't imagine too many teams out there this season making anywhere close to that amount of clearances it just you know to me really stood out is just how much we truly did batter them and just makes it that much more frustrating that it wasn't there was nothing to kind of reward ourselves for it. And with that being said, we have no goals to talk about. So we can run right into the first question. Uh, Dan, we were talking a little bit before the pod and, and, and throughout the match. And I mean, to you, it seemed like it stood out the biggest thing that without Morata, like Chelsea's offense just really doesn't flow that well. It, it seems to be that Chelsea need a proper number nine with the surrounding players we have. And it definitely felt that way. And it's not to say that we haven't seen moments this season where we've been able to field a front three. Huddersfield comes to mind where Hazard, William, and Pedro are able to get the job done. But this felt like a match with the amount of closed passing lanes, with the defensive rigidity, then the uh, bend but don't break response that Everton had, where Murata's ability to, to hold up and, you know, I think that the joke would then be is that, oh, but he falls down all the time. Uh, but I think ultimately, Nick, like he he's able to hold up more than you know, I think even Eden in some places, uh, definitely more than Pedro and William and can give us just that a couple additional seconds to start moving the ball forward. And, and I think we really saw that in the last match against Bournemouth, where he was able to kind of just come on, give a few extra seconds, pass the ball in, get it to Eden, and is able to connect it back with him. And that was something where I think if we had that on the pitch today, uh, thank you very much, Lee Mason. Uh, ultimately, we would have walked away with three points instead of dropping two. Yeah, I mean, I agree. I think I, I'm not even looking for Morata to be, you know, Drogba in terms of hold up play, but I think what we lacked today was a uh, focal point to the attack. You have someone who is really going to play off of the last defender's shoulder and, uh, you know, I think give 
Espelicueta and Rudiger, someone to aim at uh, for those long diagonals. You know, Hazard was dropping really, really deep. Um, and, you know, and William and Pedro just, uh, you know, uh, were just weaving around him, but not really pushing the play uh, forward as much as uh, as Morata would have. So it was a big miss. And, and you know, that, that yellow card uh, on, on Wednesday was a big deal, um, I, I think, with – with Morata in the in the match today, that we probably come away with three points, and uh, without it, you know, we fall even further behind City. Okay, so two things, at least for me, is one, Dan, you don't get to give that credit to Lee Mason because it was madly in the middle. Okay, so hold your grudges there. Um, uh, well, fair enough. Yeah, I'm just thinking of like Madley today. He like set a really, really low bar for the cautions, actually, um, which I thought was interesting. It kind of played into Chelsea's favor. But as you guys talk about not having a number nine, the biggest thing that I noticed is what that meant is Everton got to play a little bit deeper because we never were playing essentially like manning them up and trying to turn them and get in. All of the front three always had to come back and get the ball and then turn and run at them. And what that does is that just gives the defense one less threat or attack to worry about they know that Chelsea's never getting in behind or never going to be turning them and going in behind so they can just kind of play prevent defense and I thought that that was did that that just hurt us today we were pretty one-dimensional we couldn't send in crosses we couldn't really run at them and and that was part of it and when you have a number nine a big body who can hold someone up right like how many times have we seen now Marata have the ball played into him he flicks it into someone running in behind him okay Hazard can't hold off Phil Jagielka or Ashley Williams nor can Pedro or William and I think that again to me that was just a big piece of the offense we were missing today yeah I would agree I mean you think about um Really quick, our, our, our new friend, Dan, Chris Fowler, uh, tweet, tweeting at us after the game. Correct. Correct, Dan. That is, that's the guy. Um, he tweeted at us right after the game, kind of echoing some of those thoughts. And I think ruining the uh, offensive inefficiency you know, that we kind of talked about last weekend on the pod. Um, now, that turned out better as, as we beat. Um, Southampton, but it was still, you know, a little bit of a um, a wake up call. You know, I think without a true backup number nine, uh, someone who is going to be able to really take on um, and uh, you know take take their chances and and take on the opportunity, uh, I'm not sure, you know, how this is going to work with the amount of matches coming up, Dan. It's probably not. I think it's the 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 thought to put in, and you know, ultimately we we did see some substitutions kind of throughout the match today. You know, we saw Mishi come in, we saw, and and that really didn't find a way to change the game. You know, we saw William stay on the pitch longer than Pedro, which was interesting. I mean, you know, I think Sesk was called for in this game to try to find a way through the defense, and it definitely added some some attack back into the the forward movement when he came back on uh, and then the interesting uh, Zappa Costa substitution instead of maybe an Adoy Brandon that might have been able to uh, change the play a little bit. I mean, so I just looked at the other scores from the Premier League. We're 32 minutes in and almost every single team has scored a goal. So not only that, Newcastle and West Ham have both scored. So there's two goals in that game. I'm just super bitter at this point. I can't believe that we weren't <laughs> able to get goals, uh, you know, in this situation today. But let's 
we can do that. We can dig into the substitutions um, a little bit more. A lot of people were surprised that Pedro came off before William. I don't, you know, he obviously put on Fabrias at that point, gave him about, you know, 30, 30 plus minutes to come in and impact the game. So at least there's enough time. But the biggest thing for us is when you change that formation, it, you know, you essentially go to a 3-5-2 or Fabrias is like, you know, not really playing in that 3-4-3 three, three situation. But Nick, most people I think would say, looking at it, that Pedro added much more to Chelsea's attack than what William had that day. Even though, to be fair, all of Pedro's left-footed shots were horrendous. Yeah, I like. I think his movement was just better. To, to you know, to be completely honest, you know, I don't. I don't know if you know between the two of them that they they really played that well today. But um, my, I guess my point would be that William looked more tired. Um, you know, around the 60th minute, and Pedro was still buzzing around. And I think for Pedro to get substituted at that point was a little weird, Dan. And then, you know, I, I don't know why Zapagasta was the sub at the end. He was horrific in 10 minutes of play. It was definitely the biggest head scratcher. Uh, credit again to Shane for the Jack Skellington scratching his head uh, gif that was thrown our way. But, you know, in that moment, you're thinking, man, we, we could still go for this. You know, the, the tempo is going our way. You know, I think Everton had gotten forced into an injury substitution right after Big Sam at halftime makes two substitutions. So, you know, that there's some tired legs on that side. If you can add one more attacker with a little pace, with a little ingenuity, willingness to kind of shoot from outside the box, not shoot across and hope it makes it inside the box or potentially hopes it makes it in the goal. Uh, that would have been interesting to me. And I think for the most part today, you know, Vic was doing a good job with his take-ons, did some really nice defensive work, uh, you know, had put some crosses in, you know, but I mean, at a certain point, you know, if you don't have the right height with inside the box or you don't have the, the appropriate personnel, you know, kind of moving forward, or you also have 10 individuals in the box guarding the goal, then you really kind of put yourself in a position where you need something else on the pitch. And I don't see what Zappacosta brought to the match at that point. Ultimately, you know, you look at our bench, there's not a whole lot of options. But, you know, again, at a certain point, players need to play and you have to see kind of what you got in them. And, uh, you know, Adoy has been able to make an impact in the, the 18 level, the dev level uh, for England uh, in the youth level. At a certain point, Nick, I think, you know, players need to be given a chance. And you know what? You probably weren't going to lose the game at that point, but you certainly weren't playing to win it by putting Zappacosta on. But yeah, it, Moses, it, honestly, I was going to say Moses was pretty poor at his take ons. His crosses were the probably the best we've seen this season. But how many times did he just run right into the defender? I think that that would be my complaint with him. I'm not justifying the Zappacosta substitution. That's what I just think from Moses today. Zappacosta didn't provide any take on or getting into the box. So I don't know. But I mean, as far as Hudson McDoy goes, you got to you got to be a little bit. Fair though, I think that Moses struggling was also due to Martina having a really good game. Like Martina played out of his skull, and I, I, you know, I think you make a really strong argument that their entire back line, inclusive of Keane and Jackie Elka, um, not inclusive of Ashley Williams, but the, those other three guys were playing out of their skulls today. And yeah, Moses struggled to you know get some adequate adequate crosses in, but. Then when you watch what Zappacosta did, Brandon, uh, you were 
you're basically decreasing defensive efficiency and increasing turnover on the offensive side. I don't know why. Well, again, I would say Moses was really good at crossing today. He put in some very good like crosses into the dangerous areas. I just thought his take-ons were, were poor. Um, you know, I... It's going to be interesting to see kind of uh, how Antonio Conte continues to to shape and everything. Um, but, you know, as we kind of talked about, like, the height thing, right? So when Mourinho was at Chelsea, we were always so confused why he continued to play Ivanovic when Ivanovic was having nightmare after nightmare, match after match. And Mourinho finally came out and said, I have to have at least five tall players in my lineup so I can defend set pieces and we can attack set pieces offensively. And I thought it was kind of interesting because today that seems like exactly what we missed, right? We didn't have a target man up front. We really only had what I thought would, I'd say, Alonzo Bakioka and maybe Christensen. Rudiger. Rudiger is okay, pretty tall. That's true. Absolutely. Rudiger. But I mean, so you have three three, four-ish all of a sudden, and it seemed like whether it was set pieces, we definitely didn't. I mean, Bakioka was our only threat going forward in the box, and at the very, very end, Alonzo was in the center of the box, and he had two two crosses that almost found him at the end. But I just want to open that up, Nick, and say, like, is that something that maybe this team is lacking, is kind of that big presence up top? I did see a ton of people throwing Diego Costa's name out there again, but uh. I think that Murata fills that hole but maybe what about the surrounding cast today we missed it yeah I, I agree with that I mean I think that especially against a big Sam team Dan like you have to you have to be able to kind of match up physically and I think that we struggled uh, in set piece opportunities to do that I mean just flat out there wasn't necessarily a, a ton of, of set piece opportunities though I mean and you got to take the chance when you when you get it but, you know, we had, what, seven corners in, in total. I think maybe a cu- couple free kicks, the one that, you know, William kind of fizzed over the bar. Uh, but th- there wasn't, you know, necessarily a lot of chances for us to kind of get a goal in that way. I, I still think it was all the play was really, you know, on the sides and nothing, you know, kind of went through the middle or kind of attacked straight on goal today. You know, it was really all being dished out to Alonzo, you know, or to Moses for something to happen. And, you know, I don't know. It's just, it, it, I definitely agree with the idea that we don't have the right kind of personnel to attack a set piece appropriately, uh, especially when you've kind of witnessed some of the short crosses that we've kind of taken, short corners that we've taken recently, or we've played it out really, really far. Uh, the one to Hazard, very far out, where, you know, kind of nicked off of Rudiger and Rudiger almost was able to slot it past Pickford. But it just—it definitely is something where against teams that are going to stack the box, who have uh, you know tall, meaty heads who are able to kind of knock it away, that we're going to struggle with you know putting something through in that regard. Well, and now that just reminded me, Chelsea even had a couple of unlucky deflections. I mean, the one, uh, like the shot was deflected, but it went right to Pickford. We had another one where N'Golo Kante tried to jump out of the way. His hard shot just hit his heel. We had a lot of little breaks that just didn't go our way today. And obviously those aren't going to happen every week, but we just weren't really able to, to put much out of it. But I mean, seven corner kicks, you think you'd like to get at least one good chance out of those seven? I don't know. I guess I just, I know Christensen kind of got his head on one. Um, We did have like the clearance that went to Hazard, as you were kind of mentioning, that created chaos. And and that's when you can be effective. But 
Um, you know, Cahill's obviously a big, strong presence. David Louise was. It's just we had the bodies last season. We've had some personnel changes, some some different approaches this season. And it just kind of, I don't know, It today it really seemed like with the, as small of a lineup as we had, we weren't, weren't really able to break into any spaces and, and be like, I don't know, really we didn't find a way to consistently put Everton on their heels. And I think that that would have just been a way to kind of the battering ram approach, right. To push it in. I know you threw in Mishi a little bit later, but he really didn't see the ball at all either. So that's just, unfortunately for him, more, more of the same. I, I don't know. So if, 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 if we look back to the, the two nil at home early on in the season, uh, there was a bit of an emphasis because Kuman was still in charge. There's a bit of an emphasis in counterattacking. There, so trying to get space in behind with our, our smaller, craftier players, and uh, and then Marat obviously had a, had himself a day as well, um, heading in a beautiful uh, goal. So like it, to me, there was no space because we controlled all of the ball. You know, seventy percent of possession or whatever. Um, and the, the back four just camped out in their own area. Like when we play this weird three front, you can call it a false nine or whatever you want to call it. Um, they try and walk it into the goal you know, all the time, you know, and essentially all that Big Sam was doing is essentially banking his two sets of four. Uh, so he has his midfield to step up for anything that's around the 18 yard box. And then his back four essentially right in front of a goal, almost like a wall. Uh, so there's no way to walk it in, Dan. Like that's, I mean, we have to find another approach at that point. Ultimately, it was like going up against uh, the Death Star, and you need a tiny little X-wing with, you know, one shot, a force, willing and able pilots to net the torpedo into the back of the net or down the the shaft, as it were. And uh, we just didn't have that today, Nick. Yep. Well, Fact. well, let's talk about it. So a little bit, you know, uh, future predictions. The January transfer window is coming up here very quickly. We haven't really touched on it yet. Um, and, and I don't think we're going to do anything in depth. But strategically, I guess, what do you what are you guys predicting we're going to see from the club in January? Because as it stands, we're um, right now we're firmly in the top four, but we drop points. The race, you know, in fifth, sixth, seventh starts to heat up. It could get a little more tricky. And then I think even more importantly is we have Barcelona coming up in the Champions League. They just routed Real Madrid today in El Clasico. They are quietly running away with the La Liga title because I think more people are talking about how bad Madrid are versus how good Barcelona are, Dan. So for me, I'm... I'm pretty nervous that, it, you know, I know Barcelona are going to play a different style, but I watched a bit of their match today during halftime. Uh, it was perfect timing for us. And they had pretty much just completely deflated Real Madrid. And if Barcelona can take uh, the wind out of sails of a team like that, even though there were some penalties involved and things like that, I'm pretty concerned at Chelsea's current squad going into two legs home and away against Barcelona and trying to finish out the rest of the Premier League season. So, again, you don't need to name names, but do you think the club is going to be active looking to create more depth um, and, and give us a better chance to finish the season where we need to be? Not want to be, need to be, have to be top four, have to be pushing in the Champions League. Well, first off, Brandon, I think credit goes to you for finding a, a better stimulant in between halftime than a <laughs> cup of coffee by going from, as our friend Nazar called it, not El Clasico, 
to El Clasico for a 15-minute interlude. Uh, bravo. Really well done. I would say that there is a necessity to do so from you know some type of creativity or attacking threat. I think actually from a defensive standpoint, the club is in really good shape. It'd be nice to acquire, I think, maybe one more creative or attacking midfielder. Uh, you know, a wing back obviously is is always pointed out as a an opportunity piece. But I think there are a couple problems that are going to face doing great business in January. One, January is always tough from a business standpoint to get the player you want because sometimes the players you want are cup tied in you know Champions League, which is you know, really where we're going to need some of that uh, that metal to go and that steel to kind of be put into the team. Second is that you're going to find uh, potentially prices that Chelsea are not going to want to play for players because uh, everyone knows you need somebody. Uh, third is that you know you also have to deal with the fact that we're going to have to you know, probably loan or sell players because you know, we operate on a model of you know kind of a one in one out type of philosophy or find a way to pay for it kind of within the funds of the club itself, uh, not to go to. Uh, a Brahma clause, um, Roman clause, no. <laughs> Santa we, Roman, and uh, try to get him to open up some additional funds for transfers. Uh, and I, I don't think that's going to necessarily be the case. So I'd love to see a couple players come in, but I think it's it's kind of not not looking like it's going to. I don't know. For my mind, going to be the best because then you also have to deal with this whole narrative about does you know Conte stay or not stay, and yeah. at that point, if he goes. And you have all these wingbacks, and then you bring another manager in who doesn't want to use wingbacks. Then now you have a bunch of business you have to do in either clearing house or finding uh, you know, players to adapt in different positions or you know, architecting more loans. It's just really it's it's not the perfect scenario to go out and and do swift, quick business, a la Bayern Munich right now. So the the here is the entire scenario. If Chelsea are serious about the Champions League, they need two or three players in January. If they are content with just being top four, maybe going on an FA Cup run, uh, then just keep the squad you have and and reassess in the summer. But it, you know this team right now, you know we, we go through these highs and lows like any podcast does that, that follows the team. But you know I think we were more bullish you know a month ago when we were starting to have some positive results and then. You know, in the last three or four weeks, it's been kind of up and down. So, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to poo-poo on this too much. But if, if you're serious, Roman or or the club, then you have to go. You have to go get Bellotti from Torino. You know, you have to go get another striker who you can trust. You have to go get. You know, even if it's not Alexandro now, you have to go get someone serviceable as a backup for the left wing back role because it's just not feasible for Marcus Alonso to play there all the time. And you probably need another midfielder. So if you can go do that, great. And and then I think we can take the uh, the challenge more seriously. But um, at the end of the day, you know, if, if Conte is leaving and they kind of know that, or if or if we're kind of in the uh, in the realm of possibility to uh, you know go on a, a deep run in the Champions League, you have to go make something happen now. I think that's it. I think besides left wing back and obviously another striker, <clears throat> I mean, I think we need another player who can unlock a team. Hazard was the only one out there 
that could take the ball, make defenders miss, and get into a dangerous position. If you look at all the other top teams around Europe, they have multiple people. PSG are sitting with Cavani and Neymar. Barcelona obviously have Suarez and Messi. Uh, Bayern have a plethora of attacking options with Lewandowski, uh, Robin, James Rodriguez, all of these guys together, Thiago. And Italy, uh, Juventus, and, you know, Iguain, Dybala, uh, multiple, multiple. You get my point. Chelsea, we really have Hazard, and as long as Morata's around, we have a pretty good threat. But the thing is, we can't just lump balls to Morata the whole time. We need another player who can unlock it. Some people are talking about Zaha. I don't know if he's really that big of an upgrade on a Pedro, potentially. Maybe he is enough on a William, but I think when Conte has his way, he wants to play 3-5-1-1 anyways, and so those positions don't really need to be enforced. But I think that, Nick, you kind of put the whole situation pretty accurately in the sense that here's where we're at. I think we will see the club's ambitions at the end of this transfer window, depending on who they brought in to fight for the rest of the season. And the biggest thing that concerns me, Man City by whoever they want. That means they now have a stranglehold on players coming to the Premier League. So no, they're no more is it like, oh, it's competitive between Chelsea, United, Liverpool, Arsenal and City. Now it's more like, well, like Alexis Sanchez, right? Like right now, if he wants to leave, he has no doubt in his mind. He wants to go to Man City. Chelsea aren't even in the conversation. And I think that's a concern right now that the board need to address and say that Chelsea is still a top destination for the top players where you're going to come and be successful. So so I think the two things that they can do, or three rather, um, that they would be able to do to help mitigate that, because I do believe that that is a concern, uh, both from the willingness to pay larger transfer fees to the willingness to pay larger or large wages, is announcing a extension for Thibaut Courtois and announcing an extension for Eden Hazard and announcing you know an, either an extension for Antonio Conte would do a lot to help improve I think kind of the the global thought around like what's kind of going on with Chelsea because ultimately you know the, the narratives whether they are real or not real are, are things that have to be managed effectively and to do so you know, from like a PR perspective, what's better than saying, hey, you know what, like you're saying there's issues at a club or there's problems or there's instability. Well, we're going to announce that, you know, our wonderful kind of Belgian duo and our forward player and our rock at the back uh, have now signed long term extensions to the club through, you know, 2022, 2023. And that would go a long way to seeing other players look up and be like, oh, yeah, man, now they got, you know, so Conte's there, you know, world class, you know, uh, midfield player. They have, you know, this great guy, Christensen, who's now also being extended to. That's a, that's a great player I want to play with. I want to play with Hazard. I want to play with Courtois. And then you create, you know, oh, and Conte is going to, you know, be there for a few more years. Like, wow, okay, you know, I, I really think, you know, I'd like to do that because isn't going anywhere. And I think that, that the problem that you're highlighting, Brandon, is that from an attractiveness standpoint, the what City is doing, like people want to play with winners. Like people want to play at the biggest stage and City have constructed something right now that is going to continue to draw and be attractive to players, much like at times the Yankees have been where players want to go play for the Yankees, where the 
Patriots would get players to, you know, agree to one year deals or two year deals on like veteran salaries and minimums because they wanted to go play for a ring because they knew they were going to play for a champion caliber team. And that's not the package that Chelsea can sell to players right now. And that that is a larger problem. I read a tweet, actually, that kind of outlined that for the Alexandro deal, is that his biggest concern was that he didn't know if Conte was going to be there, really, even before that season or at the end of the next season. And I think that's a really good point, right? Like, the club, Eminalo's just left. Are we in a point of stability, uh, you know, going forward? And I think that that's a big thing for players. The last thing they want to do is sign for a club, and then the manager's out, you know, the person who's like, hey, I want you to come here play for us, and he's gone. So... Uh, I don't know. It's gonna it's gonna be interesting. I think like hopefully we can go out there, make a splash, show some intention. You know, uh, kind of flex the the transfer transfer window muscle as it may be. But uh, we'll just kind of have to wait and see. But you know, it will be here much sooner than kind of I was ready for. So we'll see what happens. Um, any other additional thoughts or comments on this one, guys? Obviously, probably not since it was a bit of a snooze fest. But Nick, anything else? Nope. All right, Dan. Uh, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. Well, we're not completely done because we had a fake man of the match poll that we did, you know. (laughs) Well, typically we run a man of the match poll right afterwards and we let it breathe for a day. You know, much like, you know, Nick, a a good whiskey or a fine wine. It needs to to aerate a little bit and have some legs. You you don't don't drink that stuff out of the bottle. No, you have to pour. Maybe a decanter, Dan, would be... Where we, where we yeah, would like sw- to... Sw- yeah, sw- around a little bit. Yeah, so we didn't throw one out. But if we were doing a Man of the Match poll, uh, since I tend to construct them now, uh, thank you for your uh, praise or criticism, is uh, yeah, I would have put uh, Eden Hazard on there, Nick, little N'Golo Conte, yep. uh, the Chelsea away supporters who were in yep. fine, fine voice today. Uh, and I think the, uh, the closest man to a goal, Ashley Williams, would also be up there too. <laughs> I, yeah, I bet Ashley Williams would have won that poll. Um, but the away support was fantastic and, and continues to be um, just amazing. Uh, it, it's clearly audible on TV, um, all of the chants, so well done. You're right. I just wanted to point out the fact that you said it's clearly audible, which high def, baby. Um, these, at one point, I want to say I heard the carefree chant while the fans were booing their own players. I thought that was pretty special. It's because yeah. it was that one time we had like almost 10 minutes of straight possession. We didn't do a whole lot with it, but we were just able to essentially knock it around them the whole time. Uh, and, and that was pretty cool, especially because like we've been to the bridge a couple of times now. So you're just sitting there saying, you know what? Yeah, that makes sense. Like, there's only a few thousand of them. That's pretty awesome. So, um, anyways, uh, great job to all of you who went. Uh, Fantastic. But we're going to go ahead and wrap up real quick some social media questions, as always. But real quick, uh, World Soccer Shop, if you're a bit of a sneakerhead like Nick and Dan are, I can't take credit, uh, they have some really awesome kind of lifestyle shoes, essentially, that you can wear. So, I'm really liking, uh, guys, what the brands are doing with more kind of, hey, you don't want to dress like a full wanker every day but you still want to support your teams in soccer gear here's what we have for you yeah so if you go to the the sale page on world soccer shop you'll find um the uh the lifestyle shoes section and you know depending on your size there are some pretty awesome deals here so i would just direct you uh to that you know page it's obviously not you know kind of uh, an ltd or uh you know 
um, an undefeated kind of level of, of lifestyle shoes, Dan. But there's some pretty decent stuff on here for sure. Yeah, all available right now at uh, worldsoccershop.com. All right, a couple uh, questions that we had on social media. First one was actually from Shane on Patreon. Um, he obviously talked about the William and Pedro and, and needing to get a second striker. But the bigger thing he kind of pulled out of here, Dan, is that he said it was just so obvious how many times Hazard was disappointed with his teammates' ability to keep the flow of the play going in contrast to his ability to produce play from nothing. Um we kind of talked about this before, but I mean, obviously, if we get someone else at a higher level closer to Zard, that's only going to help him continue to stay at a high level, right? Players want to play with with, you know, players, you know, I mean, you look at, you know, whether it be super teams, you know, they, they want to go play with people that they see at that level or challenge them to perform at a higher level. You know, I think when we we see Murata and, and Hazard on the pitch together, like they, they you know they're gelling in a way that's I think forcing each other to play at a little bit of a higher level. And ultimately, you would want almost I don't know Nick bring a list to Hazard to be like, cool, give us five names of players that you think are obtainable that we yep. can get to play along with you know, alongside you, and we will go out and try to make that happen because we, we know that you need more than you know. And again, not not to downplay or or to put down whether it be William or Pedro but there there are attackers out there that would be a cut above that we could look to inquire about that would would take us and, and I think ultimately make Hazard happier and make the end product better I agree with that I mean I think you're essentially talking about like the FIFA 18 the journey uh, section where they they bring Alex Hunter a list of names uh, among those are Greetsman and and Thomas Muller and, uh, you know, what well, doesn't matter. So uh, that, that's essentially what you would ideally do. You would give Hazard a little bit of player power. You know, I, I know that we kind of downplay that in the past is like, you know, do the players have too much power? Do they not have enough power? Um, and, and I think the, the focus has been on like decreasing player power. But to keep a guy that special, I think you might have to empower him a little bit um, and give him the opportunity to help you shape the team and it's not to say that all of the guys that he would want to play with are going to be available and that we're going to get all of them but at least have have you know some sort of creative control on on what's going on well um i think there's an interesting kind of twitter back and forth between joe tweeds and uh at xanasaurus talking about you know, we shouldn't have to need to bring on a player like Callum Hudson-Odoi from the bench just to beat Everton. And Joe's response was, well, that's the situation we're in. So while a lot of us would like to think that maybe we shouldn't need these top players and we have good enough players, the fact is, look at the current situation. And I think that we will see that we we clearly, uh, you know, could use some improvements. As much as we, like, get emotionally attached to some of these guys out there, um, you, you have to stay as objective as possible. Um, at Carlos J one asks, how is it that if all of a sudden every damn team can press Chelsea effectively, Barcelona is going to murder us? Nick, that uh, man, yeah, well, that that doesn't sound not, very good. <laughs> let's not bring murder into the equation, for God's sake. Dan, um, no, I, look, <laughs> yeah, Dan, uh, it, calm down over there with your with your surgical instruments and stuff. So, um, yeah, no, like. I, I think that Chelsea is going to set up to play counterattacking against Barcelona, which, 
you know, could allow them to press us a little bit. But I think they'll, they're, uh, Barcelona's going to have to be a little bit cautious as well because when we have the opportunity in the three-five-two to sit back and and you know kind of wind up the catapult, Dan, and, and launch that thing. It's at light speed. So I think, you know, there there's going to be a, a lot of give and take, and Chelsea might not have the ball a bunch, but um, I think they're going to have to be prepared for the counter. It's not, based upon current form, going to be terribly pleasant if nope. we do not uh, find a, a different mode or different way. Uh, I think it will be interesting uh, to see, you know, that, that 3-5-2, you know, with a... Baka, Yoko, Conte, Fabregas midfield against Barcelona. I think that would give us more of a shot than what we're seeing right now. But uh, it, it, the future might be a little bit of a struggle, at least right now. I mean, the, 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 also the challenge is, is that we have a lot of fixtures, a lot of games coming up at the same time. And uh, that definitely has you know made it a, a bit more challenging than I think it would traditionally be. And I think which is the initial concern um, kind of heading into the year is would this team would this squad depth be able to cope with two games a week three games a week and right now i I think we're we're seeing the the struggle point of that we're seeing the reality of everyone kind of calling out that it was going to be a problem uh that it was and it is a problem i would say really quickly barcelona match is two months away so I understand, uh, you know, and this isn't against Carlos at all, but I understand that, you know, people think that the league is over and are trying to focus their energy elsewhere for this team, and I get that. I think there is a lot of work to do between now and February 20th that, you know, has to happen um, so that Chelsea can play their best football against Barcelona. Like, I look at it as an opportunity. Even, you know, you can can tell me that the league is over, and, and you're probably right, but... If you're if you're looking at the next two months as a chance to really get uh, this team, which I think has a lot of potential, on the same page and firing on all cylinders, like let's take these two months and make that happen and really give Barcelona our best shot. Uh, you know, I think we do have to kind of take it match by match though and not look too far ahead. Well, Akrampopotamus asked with one point at Everton, um, how can we expect to leave the Etihad with three? I, I think that. You probably can see by the way things have been going for Chelsea and, and Man City, Cole, that that's not you can't connect those dots. Right. You are correct. Those are connected. And the fact that Man City are just rolling the way they are and, you know, we're struggling to break down Everton is, is a little concerning. But I would say that I can't imagine City are going to play with the block eight at home against us. So in that sense, City will be more vulnerable uh, to hit, be able to hit them on the counterattack. The only difference is, can we keep out the the seven attackers they have on the field at at any given time? Uh, I I think that obviously uh, those are two completely different tasks. um, But, you know, if you can't get a result here, that obviously does make it a little harder to see how we would get it otherwise, I, I guess, at least at least to me. Oh, I don't think there's, you know, I don't think that is the concern right now. Um, you know, I think that when you look at, you know, our upcoming fixtures, like we don't play city until what is it? You know, end of February, early March, like, yeah, right in between the Barcelona matches. (laughs) Right. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, what better, what better warm up for city than Barcelona, I guess. Right. Like, you know, there's, there's a possibility that we get something out of that game, but like 
we have to use the next two months, and I say we, the team has to use the next two months and get in the best form of the, of the year. Uh, otherwise, no, we don't have a chance, Dan. And again, I think a lot of it's going to go down to, you know, how do you find a tactic or a way to kind of deal with Barcelona uh, if reinforcements don't come in, if we have the squad that we have today? Uh, it's going to be an uphill battle, but you know what? Chelsea likes uphill battle. You know, we, we, we've done more before with less, so or, or with uh, with less than our competitors. So, um, you know, does that mean we will go to the Champions League final? Probably not. But could we pull off, uh, you know, a, a crazy upset? It's it's not out of the cards. No, I mean that's fair. So, um, all right. Well, I guess the last one, just real quick, is from at Nerd underscore Tastic Steven, who we met in London. Says, if the three four three is supposed to be the formation we use to break down teams that park the bus, uh, why are we struggling to to work through the middle? Um, it, essentially, we've said that multiple times, right? We'll use a three four three against lesser teams, and, and in turn, Dan will use a three five one one for the big boys. But didn't didn't go to plan, I guess today. No, not at all. And I think that's where, you know, my, my question earlier was about was why why wouldn't we try to push down centrally or play the ball in? And I think the, the biggest challenge is that, you know, we were having people press on Alonzo and, and Moses, so they weren't getting a ton of space to play the ball out. And then you're looking for, you know, Conte, who is, is many, many wonderful things, but, uh, you know, f- attacking-minded player, uh, he is not, and so so often he would end up with the ball and either distribute yeah. it out back to the wings or behind him, and so you lose out on that two, three, four seconds where potentially a quick, more incisive ball could have been played forward. You saw that when Fabregas came on. Uh, it almost feels like if that three four three is gonna gonna work in that moment, and you want the midfield to try to do something, you you, ha- you have to put. Fabregas in there and and watch him and Conte work together and ask Conte to basically do all the dirt of dirty defensive work and not be a, a forward player. I would I would quickly say like that's a really good point. Bakayoko I think is you know in the three four three a lot more comfortable and you know you saw him break through a couple times today. Uh, and Golo Conte needs to shoot some of these too. Like he just needs to start taking shots. I mean, even if. Even if we know that he is not, you know, the second coming of Leo Messi uh, around the box, uh, I think that he, you know, wh- where a Balak would have done this or an Essie would have done this, he needs to feel confident enough to take those shots. Because, again, we, we've talked about this before on, on the show, but as soon as he starts taking shots and they have to bring out another midfielder or bring out a defender to close him down, that space opens up within the 18-yard box. And that's a major, major play. Well, I guess that's why we're all missing Maddich so, so much this season. Offensive threat. All right. Well, thank you guys for your questions. As always, I uh, just want a real quick reminder to everyone um, that we are going back to London with Excel Tours. It'll be uh, at the end of March, early April, uh, specifically for the Spurs match. So, Nick, they can sign up right now. It is open. If they have questions, they can send them to us and we will make sure to get them answered. But I mean, every guest that we've essentially had on and we've talked about this match, everyone is pumped for this one. Like, this is a big deal. Uh, our our man Joe Tweeds is is gonna come back for it. Um, 
you know, I Chris Fowler cheekily said that he might try try and make it over there. I, even even with both teams not fighting for the title um, in the Premier League this year, I think emotions will be high. There there will be a lot of uh, back and forth between the fans in this match, and probably some pretty hard tackles as well. Dan, this will be one to to behold. Yeah, I heard uh, Clattenburg coming out of retirement just for this match, so yep. you know it's going to be spicy. Muy caliente. I, I think Nikki made a point that when uh, teams maybe aren't fighting for the title, uh, you know, that we, the vernacular in the U.S. we would use is like that this would be uh, quote unquote their Super Bowl, as it were. Uh, uh, this yes. will be the Super Bowl for the Spurs, and they will come to play very, very hard. Uh, so it'll be uh, it'll be fun to watch. Well, of course, it's what. I'd say it's what Chelsea did a couple seasons ago, right? Knocked them out of the title race. Like, we had nothing to play for that season except ruining their season. Dan, I heard that the uh, the FA was going to try a midfield pivot of Clattenburg and Pawson for this match. Uh, oh just, to ensure, <laughs> just to ensure that all things are covered. Uh, you know, you can't miss, can't miss anything in a match like this, so... There it is. And who does the fourth official need to be so that, you know, Conte will just get immediately sent to the stands? Oh, Howard Webb is coming back as well. I think that we're going <laughs> to, we're, we're getting the band back together, baby. It's all good. Oh, it's like the Beatles of uh, officials, except they're <laughs> terrible. <laughs> I mean, comparatively, I miss Howard Webb, even though he always gave a penalty to United, but Jesus. Ugh. Oh, anyway. how times have changed. Uh, so with that yeah. being said, um, we're going to wrap this one up. Obviously, Chelsea played Brighton on December 26th, so right after Christmas. And then another quick Bo- Boxing Day. Brandon. It is. It boxing is Boxing Day, day to, to those friends. traditionalists, is you know, as they would know. Um, December thirtieth, we play Stoke. January third, uh, play Arsenal away, and then we finally have ten days off between Premier League matches, so we can play Leicester on the thirteenth. So again, we're not out of it yet. Still a lot of matches to come, uh, but thankfully, you know, after today, depending on how Brighton do, you would think that Chelsea would have a really good chance to get back on track with three points. But we'll we'll just have to wait and see at this point because apparently stranger things have been going on this season. So uh, with that being I said, would, yeah, I, I would quickly say that if you watch the Arsenal Liverpool, not to get too far ahead of ourselves, but you watch the Arsenal Liverpool game from yesterday, like. Who knows what will happen in the Arsenal match? But one thing I do know is that if we get an early goal, they're going to fold like a house of cards. So anyway, just a thought. No, for sure. I mean, we know they can't defend. So that is something going going in our favor. Uh, but anyways, any final thoughts, uh, Dan, before we wrap this one up? That's yeah, our last uh, podcast before Christmas. So uh, Merry Christmas to those who celebrate. Happy Hanukkah to those who have already been celebrating. Um, and uh, we look forward to uh, to many, many more podcasts remaining this year and, and to a happy 2018. Awesome. It's true. Uh, hopefully you're unwrapping this podcast before Christmas so you can get ready for all the other good things that are coming, Nick, unlike this match. Yeah, hopefully this is the worst part of your weekend. Um, <laughs> that you can uh, you can go on and enjoy some time with family and friends and, and a beverage perhaps. Um, I, w- I would quickly you know programming note wise say that uh, we'll be back on the twenty seventh. Uh, so we're all kind of with family for the rest of the the holiday. We'll obviously watch the Boxing Day match. We'll come back uh, on the twenty seventh, and then that will be our last show for the calendar year twenty seventeen. Uh, so we will be taking off the Stoke match uh, on the thirtieth. 
and then we'll be back for Arsenal. So just a programming note, prepare yourselves. I know that we're all uh, used to this kind of crazy cadence of, of podcasts this year, but uh, we, uh, we we need a break from uh, from time to time. All right. Well, Chelsea fans, thank you so much for listening as always. And until next time, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high. If you don't want the conversation to stop, make sure to follow the London is Blue podcast on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you want to support the pod, you can leave a five-star review in iTunes or donate on Patreon.com. The London is Blue podcast. Presented by WorldSoccerShop.com.